0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody, from a very sunny, warm San Francisco on a Saturday morning, uh, April the 23rd, 2022. It's hard to get Ukraine and Elon Musk off the headlines, but um, the Europeans have managed to do it. Uh, The EU, according to the Financial Times this morning, and this is their lead story, have approved groundbreaking rules to police big tech platforms. This is a pretty big deal. Uh, They have a picture of Margaret Vestager on the cover. Um, Companies apparently such as Google and Facebook, such as Google and Facebook, I think Facebook now is called Meta, must moderate content more actively in a regulatory clampdown. Something that we've been talking about for many years. In fact, I've been writing about it for years. Um, And apparently, according to the FT, countries such as the United States, Canada and Singapore are expected to follow up with similar rules in the coming months. One person who's been doing a lot of thinking about regulation and big tech over the years is my old friend David Kirkpatrick. He's the founder and editor in chief of Techonomy, a wonderful Online resource, uh, but but a real time resource too—a conference series about technology uh, and its impact on society. Um, And uh, David is joining us from his home in New York today. David, uh, how big a deal are these uh, European headlines? Uh, Are they as significant as the FT is suggesting?
1: Oh, first of all, great to be with you, Andrew. Uh, and the answer is absolutely yes. Um, this is a, has been a long-standing process in Europe. And even though they did take a major vote on the Digital Services Act uh, just this morning, late night, Friday night, um, there's a lot of little details still being ironed out. I understand quite a few more sort of sub-votes to be taken on details. But combined with the Digital Markets Act, which is also in the process of completion and and very much uh, far along. Uh, This is probably the first time that any government entity in the world has tried to take comprehensive account of the transformation of our economy into one dominated by a small number of giant global internet companies. And I think that is overdue. It's critical. It's admirable. And it's going to be very impactful.
0: David, you and I have been talking about this for years. What are the the, the practical consequences? Will it mean that um, a network, a platform like Facebook, which you're an expert on, we'll talk more about Facebook in detail later in this conversation, will it mean that they'll essentially have to operate like a newspaper and be accountable for what they publish?
1: Not quite, but it'll push in that direction, absolutely. Uh, And of course, the proof is in the pudding and the details um, will be critical. Um, There was also commentary already since this vote yesterday or this morning that, you know, from many critics that, yeah, laws are fine and good, but GDPR, they didn't really enforce sufficiently or at all, in some people's opinion. And there's some concern that, however seemingly draconian these This package of laws is it might not really have that much impact if it's not really aggressively enforced. Now, they say the European Commission is going to hire over 200 new people entirely just to enforce and monitor compliance with the Digital Services Act. That's a big deal. Um, But it doesn't go so far as to say that these services are responsible for everything that happens on their platform. It does. Determine in numerous specific areas, particularly around politics, um, racial hatred, and, uh, and and other kinds of uh, harmful public speech, um, commercial speech of various types. It sets restrictions that didn't exist before. And look, I think these companies need to have their feet held to the fire, and 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 they need to moderate their services more. And when I say they, I specifically think mostly of Facebook because I think it's still by far the biggest between its various platforms and, and the biggest um, perpetrator of, or the biggest failure, shall we say, um, when it has come to moderation with, with the most negative societal impacts thus far. But so we're moving in the right direction. Uh, it's just Europe, but as you say, other regions are likely to fail. Um, kind of fall in behind this, although not the United States, most likely. Um, just final thought is that most most likely, even if the U.S. doesn't pass bills that are comparable, which is almost inconceivable that, that the U.S. here would, um, unfortunately, but, you know, when you have enough of the world economy following a certain set of rules, these platforms almost Uh, have no choice but to simply abide by those rules everywhere, because it's just so costly for them to differentiate how they're handling use and speech, etc., in various countries. So it's a huge, huge deal, and it is really important.
0: And I'm assuming, given the geopolitical realities of spring 2022, the European market, from an American point of view, is even more critical, given the fact that Russia no longer essentially exists as a market and the Chinese market is increasingly questionable. So Europe is is increasingly important. It's always been important in cultural terms, but the, 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 the politics of this are increasingly central.
1: There's no question. Um, European market is probably in dollar terms the largest part of the internet economy. Um, or it's certainly in the same league as the U.S. and China. Um, And and it's really amazing that all these countries are able to act in tandem, even in this. Obviously, they aren't able to act in tandem on everything. But I mean, I think the European Union is a miracle of modern geopolitics that uh, I strongly applaud. And I, I, I hope Americans appreciate how historic its actions are, even beyond this particular law.
0: David, you mentioned Facebook earlier. You are one of the world's leading authorities on Facebook. You wrote the first really serious book about it called The Facebook Effect. And you've been on the show one way or the other, the old TechCrunch show when Kianom was on TechCrunch in 2011, uh, 2013. You came to Futurecast talking about Facebook uh, back in 2019. Um, You talked about your change of heart uh, when it comes to Facebook. Where are you today on Facebook? Are are, are, are we at a point where they become more of a joke than a serious threat?
1: That's a nice way to ask the question Um, because with the name change and the obsession with the metaverse, it does begin to seem sort of ludicrous looking at how they conduct themselves publicly. Um, There was even an article I just saw yesterday about how frustrated many, many Facebook employees are at Mark Zuckerberg's own obsession with the metaverse and desire to see pretty much all. That was in Business
0: Insider. (laughs) It also got on the uh, New York Post. So it's it's got quite a lot of coverage.
1: Oh, yeah. The metaverse thing. Well, they changed their name, for God's sakes. I mean, which I considered to be a... Regardless of Mark's po- probably uh, genuine uh, passion for becoming a metaverse company, the timing of the name change and the way it was handled, in my opinion, undis- indisputably was managed in part to change the narrative after Frances Hoggan's revelations and the Facebook papers generally that she helped release um, had done such an amazing amount of harm to the company's reputation for the company it currently is. And this transformation has sadly, very successfully, I think sadly, shifted the narrative and, and, and allowed it the company to, to speak much less often publicly about the proven harms and, and missteps and failures of its uh, governance, of its existing platform that is and platforms that are used by roughly three billion people, which is an astonishing statement in itself. The responsibility this company has is gargantuan, and it seems to be seeking to deflect and avoid much of that responsibility. So I, I will say, when I think, every time I force myself to say meta instead of Facebook, I do sort of laugh. I think it is a joke a little bit. I think it was a a, a bad decision. I think it's going to hurt them. It it has hurt them already. I think it's one of the reasons their stock is down more than a third. Um, It's that's primarily because their growth has actually begun to decline, stop growing in in developed countries uh, in the most recent quarter. But it's also, I think, because people don't understand what they're really about anymore. And it's hard to have the same passion for their prospects if if you're trying to invest in them as an internet advertising company and they're saying they're becoming a metaverse company which might or might not have successful advertising down the road. I mean, it's a real mess Think trying to understand this company right now and the combination of its failures of governance historically, which have been consistently awful Um, the many, many proven harms that it's caused in society and politics around the world, Um, and then this extremely, in my opinion, premature shift to what might eventually be an important part of the technology uh, cosmos, Uh, it all adds up to a, a pretty messy picture, more messy by far than any other major internet company, probably even including Twitter, right?
0: Well, you mentioned Twitter, and of course, they're very much in the news, Uh, Elon Musk trying to buy them. I wonder, thinking about what you're saying, do you think that one of the reasons why Musk seems so keen on Twitter is because he smells blood in terms of Facebook?
1: That's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought of that, and that hasn't been said much in the commentary, but you are a very acute observer. Uh, Very possibly. You know, one of the things that he's tweeted this week, which I was discussing briefly on Bloomberg just on Thursday, um, is that he thinks that Twitter ought to authenticate all users with the, you know, vaunted blue check, right? So that you would really know who everybody is.
0: It's the Estonian. and This is is something I've been calling for for years. It's the Estonian solution, a a truly transparent internet where you If you want to say something, you have to prove who you are. It it seems an obvious solution to me. Well, the
1: reason that dovetails with your theory is that that would make Twitter much more like Facebook. Because Facebook has always, by policy and terms of service, required you to use your real name. And, you know, even though they haven't enforced that sufficiently, there have been huge uh, failures there. But in general, the culture of Facebook still is that you are who you say you are and somebody's name generally can be tracked back to a real human being which is very valuable in terms of understanding what's happening to you as a user there both as the speaker and as the listener Um, i would really applaud that change at twitter Um, twitter has been founded on anonymity throughout its entire history and that was one of its design features from the beginning even though many people do identify themselves accurately, there is no requirement to do so. Um, So if you really are concerned about hate speech and disinformation, obviously being able to really show and prove who exactly is speaking at all times is a key factor in avoiding uh, misinformation and disinformation, and at least ascribing um, uh, responsibility for whatever does happen. I think that's a big deal. So yes, uh, I'm not sure how Twitter could effectively compete with Facebook at a global scale, you know, they're tiny compared to Facebook. So that that's, that's a very big tall order, but it, it it could be that a really clever set of design and product product changes could position it more head to head.
0: David, you seem to be suggesting, I'm not putting words into your mouth, that Facebook is broken. Uh, Eric Savitz, another uh, smart tech journalist, wrote that in, in Barron's uh, earlier this week. Um, meta Platform, and I'm quoting here, Meta Platforms, uh, the former Facebook has come under heavy fire from Congress regulators and even its own users. But there's nothing like the crisis it now faces, he wrote. Is the crisis one of branding? Is it a Facebook itself? How does it impact on the other properties within Meta, particularly uh, WhatsApp and Instagram? They seem to be much healthier companies.
1: Yeah, they are. I think they're much healthier services, uh, although uh, WhatsApp has the dubious distinction of being a healthy service that makes essentially no money. Uh, and it is an indispensable part of the global uh, infrastructure, especially for people in every country outside the United States. And Americans typically don't even realize the degree to which in almost every other country, WhatsApp is the primary communications tool for messaging, et cetera, um, except for China, of course. Um, so WhatsApp is doing fine as a service, not as a business. Instagram is doing great as a service and a business, although there are some signs of deceleration and and declining usage among young people uh, as TikTok in particular. Yeah, so There's um,
0: a headline uh, from The Verge about Instagram and begging people, begging its users to stop reposting TikTok posts. So it becomes a kind of subcast.
1: You're great with those quick headlines, Andrew. I love the way you're... I'm
0: reading your mind, David. I know you're what you're
1: reading gonna say. my commentary in real time. It's very impressive. Well, so Facebook has a branding problem. The one of the, I think one of the reasons they changed the name of the company to Meta is that they did want to shift the narrative away from Facebook the company being identified exclusively and predominantly with Facebook blue as it's called the Facebook service itself which as Instagram in particular has triumphed as a major global success on its own has become less of a critical it's it's become less central it's still by far the biggest part of the company's operations but it is not the only part by any means and um You know, of course, you have the whole Oculus metaverse uh, project that they're doing in addition. So but but they do have a branding problem. And and I actually think they would have been smarter if they were going to change the name to go somewhere along the route like Google did when they changed the corporate parent to Alphabet, which is explicitly a kind of name denoting a holding company, a bunch of different letters of different products or businesses instead of proclaiming that they were now the meta company, because what they've done is they've proclaimed that their brand is associated with a business that doesn't exist, which I would say as a branding and marketing decision was idiotic. Uh, and, And again, as I said earlier, almost certainly driven in part at least by a desire to change the narrative about the company at a particular moment of reputational harm. So, you know, Yeah, they've got problems up the wazoo. And could I just say one general point you may want to drill down on? Their problems, almost all, stem predominantly from one single fact, which is that a single individual unilaterally and absolutely makes all decisions at the company, unlike almost any other large company you can name. There is no effective governance whatsoever inside Facebook as a corporation, just as there's no effective governance of Facebook speech, and I think those things are tied because Zuckerberg doesn't want it, and what Zuckerberg wants is what Zuckerberg gets.
0: The other character, of course, who is involved, or supposedly involved in the running of the company, who everyone's heard of, is Meta's Sheryl Sandberg. She's supposed to make the trains run on time there, uh, although I'm not sure how reliable those trains have been over the last couple of years. She's been in the headlines for the wrong reasons this week, uh, associated with a scandal uh, connected with her boyfriend and the Daily Mail in the UK. Why is Cheryl still at s- s- Facebook? Is it, it, Does she actually do anything, David? Is she just oh symbolic of another age?
1: No, she does an enormous amount and she has been absolutely indispensable to their kind of flourishing as a business over the last decade. She essentially created the business that generated at one point, a trillion dollar market cap, and now something more like 600 billion. Zuckerberg is a product guy, Zuckerberg had the vision for the service. But Cheryl came in and created the business and she gets enormous credit for that because for much of its history, it's been the most profitable business per dollar of revenue of any large company that ever existed and that's her doing so. She's worth, you know, in some ways, the billions of of dollars in in, in stock that she has now uh, garnered over that process. But in the last couple of years, I think, especially for those of us like me who've been, a, been close observers of the company, it has been mysterious and 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 vexing and confusing and, and disappointing to see how little influence she seems to have had when it came to the big issues around the company's stature and behavior as a societal force. And and to reiterate, very few companies in the history of capitalism have had as much societal influence as Facebook. So managing that effectively has been more important for this company than almost any other company I can think of, and it's been done badly. And all of those people historically reported to her. Now, they recently changed the organization so that Nick Clegg is now reporting both to Mark and Cheryl, as I understand it. Before that, he was really reporting to Cheryl, although working closely with Mark, uh, because Cheryl always handled all marketing and communications. And Nick was essentially a PR guy, an elevated PR guy. Um, And the point of that was to give Zuckerberg even more deniability, I think. And it's, again, a ruse. It's, he Clegg doesn't actually have power. He's a, a spokesmodel and he's,
0: yeah, I don't I mean, think- Bringing he, in a, a failed politician from the UK of all places to run yeah. a big tech company sounds to me completely absurd.
1: Well, it was a smart move to bring in a very seasoned senior government leader. I think that is what Facebook needed. And I think this European uh, set of laws that we're discussing earlier clearly shows how important lobbying and governmental relations are to Facebook. And I actually felt, and I wrote, I actually wrote at one point before Clegg came in that they should try to hire Obama. Unfortunately for their success, they needed someone of that stature because their their problems were that significant and their global uh, footprint was that vast, Uh, but they couldn't get obviously somebody. So they got a former deputy prime minister of a small country, forgive me for saying so,
0: um, but uh, who really... Oh, well, yeah, a small, a, small co- a small party in a small country. So you, A
1: small yeah. party in a smallish country.
0: An irrelevant... Who, actually, I would, I would rephrase that, David. An irrelevant party in an irrelevant country.
1: Well, it, you know, and I'm no British political expert, but hadn't he really, shortly before uh, this happened, kind of been very sort of shamed for having totally changed his views on a key issue that got him and his party into government and then yeah. as soon as he got in government it was relating to student debt i believe right was and and, and he basically abandoned one of his key platforms yeah, he's positions. not i
0: mean to, to be polite he's, he's no winston churchill uh, or even certainly a barack obama although interestingly enough you mentioned obama he made a, a speech in silicon valley this week suggesting that social media needs to be controlled unless it destroys society so he's very much in the investigate eu camp on this stuff
1: yeah but only belatedly Look, Obama
0: really- You've all been belated, David. Even you were a bit belated. I mean-
1: Oh, I was somewhat belated, but I'm not in government, Andrew. I don't have the obligation to, to, you know, Obama even now recognizes that he totally screwed up in not doing more about particularly Russian interference in the 2016 election conducted primarily using Facebook. And um, Obama was in bed with Silicon Valley, during his entire presidency. Quite literally.
0: I mean, Eric, Eric, uh, Eric Schmidt, the, I think he was CEO and then executive chairman of Twitter, uh, of of Google. He was, in the White, the Obama White, physical uh, Obama White House, he visited more times than anyone else except members of the Obama family. I
1: remember at least one State of the Union address where Eric Schmidt sat next to Michelle Obama in the, the Congress, <laughs> while Obama was giving the State of the Union address. That goes to show how close he was, and I'm sure he gave a god, um, god, ungodly amount of money and all that, and he donated some key people for the administration. And I don't. Eric Schmidt on any of that, but the, the fact is, Obama lay down on the job. One of the things, just quickly on Obama, the thing that always amazed, amazed me was he was this Facebook president in a way. He was the first person to really effectively use social media to get elected when he first got elected um, in 2008. But yet, as soon as he went into office, he com- seems to have completely abandoned that psychology and that approach. And he didn't use, some of us thought, he could have used social media to govern as thoroughly as he used it to get elected, and that could have been a transformative thing for the future of of politics and governance on a global basis. And even now, you you this is something right up your alley with all of your work on participatory democracy, which I know you're such an expert on. Um, you know, Obama could have been a visionary of that. And it seemed briefly like he was going to be, but he totally abandoned it. And then he abandoned all efforts to really even give any oversight whatsoever to these companies that were progressively becoming more powerful than governments and that were all, all American for the most part. Uh, and and I, I think that's disappointing.
0: To put it politely, David. So good yeah,
1: yeah, well, now.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this virtual reality thing. There was a nice headline. Um which I think sums it up, Uh, the Facebook parent, i.e. Meta, stands tall in a small market. Um, uh, Verge had an interesting piece uh, recently. I know you read about Zuckerberg's obsession with augmented reality, making all these glasses. Do you think they've made, uh, and and, and this comes back to what you said earlier, do you think they made a, a fundamental error in betting on AR? Elon Musk um, earlier no, this year. they have not yeah. betted
1: on AR. They bet on EA on VR. Their bet has been on virtual reality thus far. They say they're going to try to get into augmented reality, which is probably a better bet, but they're they're nowhere in it.
0: Uh, okay, so so they bet on AR slash VR. Elon Musk earlier this week talked about robots eventually. And he has a robot business within Tesla, being a bigger business than Tesla. Do you think that historians in the future when they look at Facebook will argue that that Zuckerberg could have bet on AI, he could have bet on robots, he could have bet on anything. And he chose to bet on uh, augmented virtual reality, which as you're suggesting is just a bad bet.
1: I'm not positive it's a bad bet in the long term. I think it's an egregiously premature that to the degree that they have committed to it, to even changing the company's name. You know, it's consistent for Zuckerberg to have done this because it's still a communications landscape kind of strategy. You know, he believes that just as we've come to communicate in 2D using text and pictures on our, our 2D screens, you know, in the very near future, we'll be immersed in a digital virtual world and that's how we will want to communicate. It's not crazy. Uh, I think the problems are m- many though. And one of the main problems, probably the single biggest problem is that it's not solving a customer problem. People don't really want it. And and, and, and and maybe if we had glasses that were immersive, that didn't make you throw up, that, you know, actually gave you a view of something that looked something other than a, you know, a manga game or something. Uh, and, 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 and really, uh, gave you genuine functionality that you couldn't otherwise have. Uh, Maybe some portion of society, a reasonable portion of society would want to do that more than just the gamers of today, which is really the only community that now is already committed to this. And that is many tens of millions of young people, but is not a business that could absorb the next generation for Facebook's ambition to serve all the people of the planet, which is a direction they've been steadily marching toward, well over 3 billion users already. There is no conceivable near-term reality where anything like 3 billion people are going to be in virtual or augmented reality.
0: Yeah, I agree. Let's end where we began with this EU news, the subtext in the FT headline. Companies such as Google and Facebook, of course, there are other companies as well, apple in particular there's been this historic animosity between apple and meta and in fact the great crash of facebook stock in february of this year was created by apple's change in their policy towards advertising do you think in the long run david there are two core business models for big tech companies in Silicon Valley, the Facebook model of selling advertising around personal data and the Apple model of selling services and products. And what all this news out of Europe and the crisis at meta Facebook suggests is that the Apple model is winning and that in the future, big tech companies are gonna be a lot more like Apple and perhaps even Amazon than Facebook and Google.
1: Well, as usual, that's a very thoughtful and creative question. I don't think that it's quite as you say, though. I think both models have enormous long-term potential. Although there is some direction where all of the software companies are becoming to a lesser degree hardware companies, which they they you know for most most of their history essentially repudiated um, It's been quite stunning to see how effectively uh, Amazon has gone in that direction with Alexa, et cetera. Um, and, you know, probably they'll have a car someday, just like Apple will probably have a car in the not distant future. Um, Facebook is in the device business already in some small ways. Um, I think though, that the advertising business, the targeted advertising business with modifications will remain a vastly profitable business at scale for a long time. Um, but, but when you look at the changes that the EU is making, just to go back to that, Apple is far better positioned to adapt to that than Facebook or, or Google or Amazon for that matter. Um, I think they'll all adapt in one way or another, but it could really be more expensive for them to operate, which is fine with me. You know, there's no reason why these companies have to have such vast profit margins, um, and, and maybe they just need to pay more money for moderating and and managing how behavior happens on their service and become slightly less profitable, even if still hugely profitable, they'd still be way more profitable than your average company in a big time global capitalism. Um, but yeah, I mean, am I an ap- admirer of Apple? Yes. And my admirer of Elon Musk and Tesla? Of course, um, those businesses are... are it's kind of the leading companies right now, but it's partly because the, the advertising monetized companies have in general failed when it came to moderating the speech and and managing the, the impact they had on global communications effectively and choosing instead to profit at a higher rate by spending less. and And that's one reason those companies are on the downturn and the other ones are on the up.
0: As always, wisdom, real wisdom from David Kirkpatrick, the founder and editor-in-chief of Techonomy and one of Facebook's greatest and most insightful, I think, fairest critics, the author of The Facebook Effect. He knows uh, Zuckerberg as well as anyone, David. Um, we need another book from you at some point. I'm sure it will come. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, viewers, listeners should follow Techonomy. I know you've got a conference coming up in the fall in Sonoma, which is going to be a yeah. lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you reading in addition to uh, the Techonomy website, David?
1: Well, OK, I'll give you two books. Uh, that have been very influential on me and have really defined in part why Techonomy is becoming more and more focused on climate tech and climate action, and we just had a Techonomy climate conference in person in Mountain View in Silicon Valley. One is The the Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells, which is the most hair-raising book you can read about just how bad uh, global warming is. It came out a couple years ago, but it is still incredibly valid. Some people have trouble getting through it, but it is an amazingly effective enumeration of just why we have to act now or else we're totally screwed. And the other is a, a, a fiction book, um, wait, what's it called? Uh, it's called The Ministry for the Future. Yeah. Uh, and what's that guy's name? Oh, damn it. Robinson. I, I, what's it? What's
0: it? Robinson.
1: Yeah, right. Kim Stanley Robinson. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that, that's a lot of references. I need to- Okay, and
1: let me just quickly give you my quick review. It's a bad novel, but it is an incredible vision of climate action. And it's the most comprehensive vision of climate action successfully that anybody has articulated, because by the end of the book, basically the world is dealing with global warming effectively through an enormous, you know, carbon coin that's used globally and endorsed by every major central bank, uh, Wildlife corridors, you know, no more internal combustion, anything pretty much, you know. So they they it shows a world that really took this seriously. And because of that, it's been a very, very important book for a lot of people. It's not it's not great literature, but it's it's really worth reading.
0: And finally, David Kirkpatrick, editor-in-chief and founder of Techonomy, author of the Facebook Effect. David, who who's running the world on April 23rd, 2022? Who's in charge these days? It's not. It's not Zuck, is it?
1: If there was any one person, I, I'd say. What? Sadly, too much influence in running the world today is is held by a small number of autocrats whose rise has largely been enabled by the failures of governance of the services we were describing. Now, Putin is the number one perpetrator. Xi Jinping is another, but the ones that Facebook really enabled, Duterte, Orban, Erdogan, Bolsonaro, et cetera, we have a cabal of anti-democratic autocrats running essentially the tail that wags the dog because they don't even represent the majority of global sentiment or even anything close to it. But because they're bad actors and they have no scruples and they'll, they'll abuse any system they participate in, they are in undue amounts of control.